Maggie's podcast, giving you so much more than medicine. Thank you so much for listening to this Maggie's podcast. Each episode in this series will focus on a different aspect of living well with cancer, whether it's the food you eat, the gardens you spend time in, or the people around you. They're here to make you laugh, talk, and think. This episode is all about food, how cancer can affect what we eat, even how food tastes. My favourite food, I would say, is a nice, medium-rare steak, especially if I've got, which I shouldn't have, chips and mushrooms and tomato. (laughs) Tuna mayo sandwiches on this lovely brown, fresh bread. So delicious. Lint. Galaxy. Chocolate muffins. Tiffins. Chocolate shortcake. (laughs) It could go on. (laughs) I love anything curried. Roast chicken, spinach. I love spinach. I like spinach with cheese. I like spinach with cream. I like spinach on its own chocolate puddings. I like cheese. I like bread and butter. I like bread, butter and marmalade, bread, butter and honey, bread, butter and marmite. Food. Glorious food. It's always been incredibly important in our house. Cooking for my children and stepchildren, sitting around the table with family and friends. I'm Kirsty Ulsop, and in this podcast, we'll be hearing how food can help people to live well with cancer, how it can help us heal and give us comfort, and we'll be looking especially at the food, good and bad, that we inherit from our mothers. Bacon for the family made me feel like a a proper mum, like you see on the tally. You know, the mixing bowls out and making something from scratch, and it tasted lovely and because I couldn't do that, it did make me feel less of a mum. I think it was a a way of comfort, really, although perhaps subconsciously I didn't recognise it. Perhaps it was the thought, well, I might not be here much longer, so I'm going to eat what I can and enjoy it. When I got my diagnosis, I had a lot of fears and I found it quite difficult mealtimes. I just felt quite sick trying to eat the food, felt like sort of almost like a block that I was forcing this food down and I didn't really want it but for appearances sake you just you know you have to sit down and eat a meal with your family. Kathy is a mother of two from Liverpool and while she may not have got her culinary skills from her mum discovering she had a hidden talent for baking gave her an enormous sense of pride. I love my mum to bits but she is a terrible cook. <laughs> um, she doesn't make very good cups of tea and coffee as well. It was the Christmas of uh, 2013 and um, I made a Stalin and it was lovely and I shocked myself and um, I made a few of them after that and then um, bread, I discovered I could make bread as well and the kids loved my bread. Uh, we'd had scouts a few times with fresh bread and they really liked it and then... That lasted for three months (laughs) because then when I had my operation, I found I I couldn't knead bread, um, can't stir. um, Mark offered to buy me a blender, but I didn't want one. Um, Did eventually get one, but it just wasn't the same. It just didn't didn't taste the same. It felt like it didn't have any love in it. That's That's what it felt like it. It was processed. 
because I wasn't wasn't using my arms to do it. It's really stupid. <laughs> but that's how it made me feel. Baking for the family made me feel like a, a proper mum, like you see on the tally. Um, you know, the mixing bowls out and making something from scratch and it tasting lovely. Um, and because I couldn't do that, it did make me feel less of a mum. But with cancer, your body changes and you grieve for the body that you had. For me, because I couldn't bake anymore, I was grieving, it was like a grief for another part, that something that cancer had taken away from me, which is why I want to get back into it. So. I, I've taken control of a part of my life that cancer took away. Um, Maggie's just meant everything. We found it the first day of chemotherapy. As soon as we walked in, I noticed the table straight away. I love the fact that it's a square table. It's not a long table, so whoever's sitting at the table, you can see them, you can speak to them, um, and it just reminds me of a home. So the, the, the ethos of here and the kitchen table is everything. It, it, to me, it represents togetherness. Sitting around the kitchen table and talking about your problems and talking about your happy times and, and eating. The thought of hospital food is never appetising. My mum had cancer for over 25 years and she was in and out of hospital. I almost never saw something come in on the tray which she would eat. She was a very, very fussy eater. And so taking food into hospital that would appeal to her became quite a big thing for us. I remember once going to see my mum in hospital and my mum wasn't someone who ate a lot at the best of times. And she had a friend, a great, great friend called Jane. And Jane sent her a cupcake bouquet. Have you ever seen a cupcake bouquet? It's cupcakes with sort of sticks stuck in the bottom of them and then it's stuck into floral foam. So it kind of looks like roses apart from its cupcakes. It's a sort of awful thing to do to a cupcake, if you ask me. But anyway, the cupcake bouquet sat in the hospital room with mum and everyone except for her ate one of those cupcakes. They were actually delicious. But I always think whenever I see a cupcake, don't stick a stick in the bottom of it and make it into a cupcake bouquet. In 2003, Anu was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which meant some pretty long stays in hospital. Thankfully, her mum's amazing cooking came to the rescue. My life was basically the life of somebody who graduated from university quite recently um, and was trying to establish a career in quite a, a high-flying industry. So I was working in investment banking. Um, I was working hard and playing hard, partying a lot in London, had lots of friends. Um, I was having a great time. I decided to leave all that behind and move to Edinburgh for a career opportunity um, and within two months of moving to Edinburgh I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
when the actual diagnosis took place, um, um, yeah, it was just, it was quite surreal. I just, I remember my mum and dad were in the room with me and I just remember my dad's face and his face completely dropping and this sort of look of horror on his face that um, I still remember quite vividly. There was all kinds of different emotions going on and I was shocked, surprised, um, really upset and just, yeah, getting getting my head around the fact that nobody could guarantee whether I, the treatment would be successful and that, you know, I whereas I I thought that I was just starting out in life, the fact the prospect of things coming to an end was um, just really, really, really upsetting and something that I really struggled to get my head around. When I heard, I did not understand they said that my daughter's got cancer. I'm sorry I'm being emotional, but I can't help it. My entire world blanked out. I went completely numb. But that day, I thought my world ended. I spent a lot of time in hospital. Um, as an inpatient and an outpatient combined, I've definitely spent years in hospital altogether. It's been a huge blessing to have um, my mum with me, looking after me and cooking whatever foods I wanted or needed. At the beginning, mum used to bring in very simple Indian foods like um, rice and dal and then at other times during the course of my treatment I wanted other kinds of taste I wanted like a hot and sour Thai soup for some reason that was what I wanted to eat and uh, my mum had never ever made one but she looked it up and she made like this fantastic sort of Thai soup with fish some mushrooms and some lemongrass and a bit of chilli probably as well. And that just, for some reason, that just went down really well. And when you find something that you're able to eat, it, I mean, it, it cheers you up. I think it just gives you, you know, it gives you physical strength as well. And I remember mum would bring in like a big pot of the soup and we'd share it around with other patients on the ward as well. So they would, they'd really enjoy it as well. So it was, a, yeah, it's a really nice thing to to be spoilt with some nice food when you go through some pretty gruelling treatment. It was a joy for me to cook, not just for my daughter, for everybody, the nurses, the doctors, the, the especially the patient, because it became like a family. And it was also, it gave me strength. Food is always a, a strength for anybody, not just for a person who's ill. Getting a cancer diagnosis can be a scary and lonely experience. Everyday tasks can feel impossible. So, as Jenny discovered when her mum wasn't around to help, sometimes what you need is a warrior. For me, having the cancer diagnosis shocked me onto planet cancer and this strange planet that you go on and it's all dark and you don't know the language, you don't know the culture. And there was nobody around and I was by myself. And then I met the first tribe came round the rock and they were what I call the untribe because they'd say things like, oh, well, there's a cure for cancer. Oh, your hair will grow again. So I left the untribe um, and then I met the distribe and they were disheartening. But then I have what I call my cancer warriors 
and there's very few of those, but they're the people that walk the journey. And when I met them, it was wonderful because I have one special cancer warrior um, who's called Nigat. I had a phone call one day from Nigat and um, she said, I've got a surprise for you, and she's full of giggles on the phone. And I thought, oh. Anyway, the surprise was one Sunday morning she arrived and um, she had these bags and in the bags were all these meals in containers and she's a wonderful cook, I have to say, wonderful. And she'd made a very special lentil curry which had four colours of lentils in. She'd made her special rice. She'd made chicken curry because I found that I could eat things with chilli in, much stronger than normal, I have to say, because I had this bag of flour in my mouth. That's what it felt like. And she, she brought them in. She also cooked something at my stove, and I took a photograph, much to her consternation, of her at my stove. She put the meals in the freezer, and they were all labelled. I call them Nigat's curry in a hurry. Huh. She's so amazing, this woman. Is, um, she gets my vote. When you've done things for yourself all your life, eaten well, and then you, you've got ready meals, which are full of additives and horrible, really, that's when you can eat. Just to have these freezer meals that are fresh food, and you don't have to open the fridge and say, I can't be bothered to think, and shut the door. It was so wonderful. And um, it's made me cry. <laughs> I remember Mum used to say, even bread and butter tastes better when somebody else makes it. And I always remember that. My mother was obsessed by what she called avocado pears. And um, she didn't really like salad dressing. I think she thought it was too calorific. But I have got an amazing recipe for really boosting your salads. Take some small tomatoes. The smaller and sweeter, the better and chop them in half, or if they're a little bigger, into quarters. Put them to one side in a bowl with some salt on the top. Then find a ripe avocado and cut it up, and put the tomatoes and the avocado in a Tupperware bowl. The lid's important. It can't be an old one where the lid doesn't work properly. It's got to be a properly tough one. So what you've got in there is some tomatoes and half or a whole ripe avocado and a little bit of salt. So far, so good. Then you take just two small tablespoons full, literally not a lot at all, of olive oil or whatever your favourite oil is, and just under a tablespoonful of vinegar. And perhaps a little more salt, and perhaps if you wanted, a tiny little bit of mustard or honey. Put that on top, shut the lid on the Tupperware and get shaking. You know, like it's a cocktail shaker. Really, really, really shake it. And then you take the lid off. And what you've got is absolutely epic salad dressing. Pat loves to cook. For her, it's therapeutic. And there's one special recipe that has been passed down three generations of her family. I call it bolognese sauce. It's not the traditional bolognese sauce, but I can remember, in fact, it's now three generations it's, this recipe's gone to. Uh, very lean, leanest mince you can get. Always dry fried, no fat or anything. Fried onions... And then added to that, carrots, celery, mushrooms, tomatoes. And I can just sit and have that at any time and think of my mum and my grandmother. 
Um, my two grandsons, who are now 25 and 22, used to come every other Sunday and they would have to have a full English breakfast in the morning, which included seven items. Then in the afternoon, we'd all go out together and come home and they always wanted spaghetti bolognese. And so much so, my eldest grandson uh, went out to Australia three years ago and he sent me an email and he said, Grandma, he said, can you possibly email me your recipe for the spaghetti bolognese? Anyway, this Christmas day, I actually had a phone call from him from Australia and was introduced to his girlfriend for the first time on the phone. And her words were, your grandson does a mean bolognese sauce. I absolutely love it. And I'm hoping to come over and meet you in May and can make sure it is the same as you actually make it. So the bolognese sauce has gone through three or four generations now. I love cooking for myself. One, I find it very therapeutic and it gives me something to aim for every evening. So I will start preparing vegetables probably about half four, five o'clock and whatever meat I'm having, but I prepare it all and then cook it from fresh. But when I was diagnosed, from that moment on, it was though a brick wall had hit me in my face and nothing was the same for days after. As I went to bed, the last thing I thought of was cancer. As I woke up in the morning, the first thing I thought about was cancer. I still managed to have my breakfast, but I just went off. I couldn't face cooking food. I couldn't... I think that was more of a psychological thing. Um, and I lived on, I'm ashamed to say, we have a, a little bakery around the corner. And I found their turkey, they're not baps, they actually call them nudges because they're long and oval. It's like a small loaf, but it's got turkey in, salad, um, coleslaw. One would last me for lunch and tea. So for probably two months, I virtually lived on these turkey baps. I just couldn't face cooking but soon as I felt up to it, I was back to home cooking because it is not just therapeutic, it takes up part of the day when you're on your own and I enjoy it. To find out how Maggie Centres help people to live well with cancer, visit maggiecentres.org. Food has a wonderful way of bringing people together. I spend my weekends in Devon and I have two sons and two stepsons and they have loads of lovely friends it's never really a calculated thing how many people are going to be sitting around our table. The answer is to ensure that you have a drawer full of carbs, basically. Loads of rice and loads of couscous and loads of pasta. You can always make something to go with those things. We had a huge party one day in Devon and a man came and he was going to dig a pit and slow cook a sheep and it was very exciting and everyone dug the pit and we got all the wood and it was covered by 9pm that evening it was clear that I was going to have to feed about 45 people from the contents of my pasta and rice drawer and I managed it just I made about five different pasta sauces chucked it all together hurled it about and the best bit was that everybody was cooking together everyone was 
starving by then, and I'm ashamed to say the adults might have had a few too many drinks on an empty stomach. And it was just really important that everybody ate, and the sheep wasn't cooked. It was still stone cold at the bottom of its pit. Uwe was born and raised in Germany, but now lives in Nottingham. After he was diagnosed with prostate cancer 15 years ago, his relationship with his partner and son broke down. Now food is helping him rebuild his relationship with his son. My mum liked cooking. It was invisible. And so she she was, an, an, I would say, an artist in providing food in, during the war in very difficult times. And there was always enough food, and I've never discovered being hungry. So that is what she could manage. I grew up this summer at least once a week. It's one of the main foods, so it's relatively cheap. It's not very costly, and you can add any kind of meat, smoked meats or sausages or whatever, and it's very nice. And there's potatoes, or even maybe mashed potatoes. It's very nice. I was diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer and it should be written in locally advanced prostate cancer. Well, it's completely something different. So I would say I had, or my, my focus was on dying. And uh, when I came here to Makita, it's the first time that I had an idea of hope. The hardest thing was that my partner then moved out because she couldn't deal with the diagnosis. So we separated partly because she, she couldn't bear it. And I always draw for my son, so he gone with his mum, he was 12 or 13. And uh, I decided not to get him into the position of piggy in the middle. And I guess discovered that it was wrong to do that. And though I had to start a completely new relationship with my son. I had really to work hard. Though he, though he has never addressed me with that, I had to teach him to do it in a very gentle way. And now he does. When I get a text, he addresses me with high dad, what he never could do before. Yeah, in my whole life, food was very, very important. And I like to experiment, and I'm pleased my son does as well. And he enjoys it. It's quite nice to be with him when he, he cooks. We meet, I could say, nearly regularly once a week, and it is around food. Because I think it, it overcomes this uh, strangeness between us that we have something to do, and food or eating is something nice. So sometimes we go out, so we have a nice time outside, and we discover different restaurants, different styles, and so on. And it has gone now to that he starts to prepare food, so he says, come over, and we, we do it together. We yesterday did it on Monday. So I go over, we prepare the food together, we cook, and we eat together, and it's fantastic. Because I travel around the country for my work, and I'm often staying in hotels, for me, comfort eating is actually about being able to cook the food myself. It's not so much that I want specific things, it's just I want to make it. I want to be in the kitchen. I might have something simple as toast and sardines. But sardines is one of those things you can't have in a hotel room because the smell of sardines lingers for a long, long time and you wake up the next morning, the room smelling of a tin of sardines. Trust me, I've been there. So 
comfort eating means different things to different people. For some people, it can be bread sauce and peas or baked potatoes or mashed potatoes or chocolate or soup. For other people, it's just being back at home and feeling like yourself and being able to open a tin of beans and put them on the cooker and cook them. Cancer treatments can affect people in all sorts of different ways. For Irene, the treatment she had for womb cancer had a massive impact on the food she could eat. Well, when I first knew I'd got cancer, as I say, I, uh, because I'm diabetic, I ate everything that I shouldn't have eaten. I think it was a, a way of comfort, really, although perhaps subconsciously I didn't recognise it. Perhaps it was the thought, well, I might not be here much longer, so I'm going to eat what I can and enjoy it. I'd gone to the doctors because I had to keep going to the toilet all the time and I knew that things weren't right. And I saw the gynaecologist who told me that I'd got cancer of the womb. I'd actually got a very aggressive tumour on the uterus. A friend had actually gone with me, but she didn't come in with me. And I came out and I said to her, I have got cancer. And I could see her tearing up. And straight away I said to her, Luke, I'm not crying. Don't you start crying. The only way I can fight it is to be positive. And I made it known to all my friends and my family that I didn't want anybody around me that hadn't got a positive attitude. It seems funny to, to a lot of people, but I wasn't actually afraid of the cancer because I knew you could either beat it or you didn't. I was frightened, really, of the treatment because I didn't really know what it entailed. I mean, we hear these words bandied about chemotherapy, radiotherapy, but until it actually comes to it, nobody really knows how it's going to affect them. Maggie's has helped me because... It's a place you can come to and we sit round the big table having a cup of tea or whatever it is that you drink and we have a really good time and anybody coming in wouldn't believe because there's so much laughter and joking going on that nobody would believe that anybody had been ill. I did a course here on nutrition um, because one of the side effects of the radiotherapy was that it affected my bowels to begin with and that I couldn't eat certain breads, um, I couldn't eat anything that was green, I couldn't eat fruit because they would upset my stomach. And I really love salads, so I think when that happened, I missed salad more than anything and broccoli. It was a big miss. And, you know, people would invite you out and say, oh, I'll make you a meal, and you'd say, no, no, it's all right. Perhaps later when I'm a bit better. I suppose, really, in one way, that was the worst thing for me, not being able to eat the kind of food that I really liked. Catherine runs nutrition courses at Maggie's in West London. Her interest in food and nutrition started 15 years ago when her seven-year-old son was diagnosed with leukaemia. I really struggled to find a lot of information on nutrition 
and uh, I really spent the three and a half years of his treatment, this is a long treatment for childhood leukaemia, I really spent that researching. My son um, came through his treatment well, um, did a biochemistry degree and he actually wants to get into cancer research and he's always been interested in the effect that um, nutrition could have on cancer. So I think that not only did it hopefully help to get him well, it also gave him this deep-seated interest in the power of nutrition. So the courses we run here at Maggie's, or the, the way it's made up is that the first week we really have a sort of general discussion about um, why nutrition is important. We also look at the food groups and why they're important but then there's a lot of emphasis on looking at some of the specific foods that we know may be detrimental and obviously lots of specific foods uh, that can be very helpful. It's a real eye-opener after having had a mastectomy to come here to realise that the sort of bad foods I may have been eating. As a cancer survivor, I like to take whatever is there as they say, information is power. When I saw this course come up, I thought, good, I need to know more, you know, in order so I could control my food, my diet. Everything we put in our body is going to affect our body in some way. So you want it to be a good medicine, to do you good, not to do you any harm. The cliched phrase, we are what we eat, is really pretty true. Um, the biochemistry of our body is really influenced by what we're putting into our body. I always say to people that I'm going to bang on quite a lot about green leafy vegetables. And again, probably one great message to get out there is feed your body with green leafy vegetables. They are extremely nutrient-dense food and are so, um, so versatile and so easy to get into your diet. Um, but I also emphasise as well that you know, too much of anything can maybe be detrimental. So it is all about having variety if you can avoid convenient ready meals and you know what is going into your food, you're not eating food where the um, ingredients list reads like a, a chemistry lesson, uh, then actually you're probably doing yourself a lot of good. And really that is probably the key message through, throughout the whole of the nutrition workshop. As a charity, Maggie's relies on the generosity of supporters. If you'd like to donate visit maggiecenters.org. One of the toughest things for people who get a cancer diagnosis is having to tell their friends and family the news. Three quarters of people diagnosed with cancer worry about how their loved ones will cope. Mum of two, Karen, was concerned about protecting her sons. I was moisturising after having had a bath and I found... Um, it wasn't so much a lump, it was more a hardness in my right breast. My immediate thought was, oh my God, I've got cancer, I'm going to die. And then I kind of pulled myself together a bit and thought, you know, is this actually a lump? Is it not? Uh, about 10 days later, I went to the hospital uh, and they do what they call a triple assessment. So they do a physical examination, they do mammograms, ultrasound and then biopsies. A week later, I went back with the results of the biopsies and was told that I had invasive ductal carcinoma and ductal carcinoma in situ, and that I was, have, would have to have a mastectomy. My children are adopted, so they've had quite difficult life experiences already, 
and I really didn't want them to have to go through, you know, losing me, which it's a possibility when you're diagnosed with cancer. You you have no idea uh, how successful the treatment's going to be, how how far it's spread, and I just mostly my thoughts were for my husband and children who I just thought they can't lose me. I, they need me. <laughs> When I got my diagnosis, I had a lot of fears and I found it quite difficult mealtimes. Um, I just felt quite sick trying to eat the food, knowing at this point I hadn't told the children and it was just, it felt like, sort of almost like a block that I was forcing this food down and I didn't really want it. But for appearances sake, you just... You know, you have to sit down and eat a meal with your family. Maggie's is one of the best places. Everyone understands what you're going through. The support they give you is absolutely incredible. You can just turn up for a drink and a chat or come to one of their classes. It makes the whole experience of cancer feel a little bit more normal. My first uh, stage of treatment was um, surgery. The surgery was on my right side and I'm right-handed. So physically, I couldn't even lift a kettle to to pour boiling water into a mug. I couldn't chop things. There was a lot of physical restrictions on on my abilities. My mum stayed with us for two weeks and she helped with cooking and also uh, driving because I wasn't able to drive. Before I was diagnosed with cancer... One of the main things I used to do was bake. I constantly baked cakes. Our house smelt of cake. It was it, it was divine. <laughs> I kind of lost my, I call it my baking mojo. I say I've lost my baking mojo. I made my son a birthday cake. This was shortly after I'd found the lump, but before official diagnosis. And it just didn't taste nice. And it was like all the joy had gone out of my baking. <laughs> So uh, I haven't really done much since then. Chemotherapy affects everyone differently and people have different side effects. For me, chemotherapy affected my energy levels. It made my blood pressure very low. Um, It gave me an irregular heart rhythm to the point that even standing in the kitchen was tiring. So during this time, I really wouldn't have been able to prepare a meal for my family. My older son stepped in and he took on the role as vegetable chopper and he used to chop all the vegetables and, well, pretty much make the meals apart from things that involved sort of boiling liquids. So if we were having pasta, I would drain the pasta for him, but he would do all the vegetable preparation and all the stirring. And I think he enjoyed being helpful, being useful. I definitely appreciated it. And it was really nice to to spend time together. Thanks for listening to this Maggie's podcast. Mum or dad, grandma or grandson, we hope it gives you some ideas about how food can help you live well with cancer. You'll find lots of the recipes we've mentioned today on our website. Just go to maggiescenters.org for a blast of Pat's Bolognese or Nagat's curry in a hurry. And if you'd like to join the discussion, please do. Just use the hashtag more than medicine. 
Thanks so much for listening to this Maggie's podcast, which was produced by Loftus Media for Maggie's. We hope it gives you a taste of just some of the support we offer in our centres. Maggie's centres support anyone living with cancer, including families and friends, and it's all totally free of charge. For more information or to listen to other episodes in this series, go to maggiescentres.org. Maggie's podcast, giving you so much more than medicine.